Thanks, guys, for leading us in that song. You guys are amazing. Um, how good was that? Um, love seeing those gifts in action like that. It's inspiring. Um, good morning. Happy Father's Day to the dads. Um, it's a good day um, to be together and to gather like this as the church. So from wherever you are, just thank you for being together on this. It's a good day. God's purposed it. We're in it. And we're going to engage around God's word together. Um, but I want to ask you a question this morning. And I want to ask you this. Um, it's a question you probably don't hear much. But I wanna, want you to ask you this question. What do you hunger for? What do you hunger for? What makes you tick? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you passionate about? What gives you great satisfaction? What is that for you? And I want to ask you that question and ask, play something in the live chat. I'd love to actually hear and see here what that is for you. What gets you out of bed in the morning? What are you passionate about? Um, Obviously, I think many of us would say family, that is something. And sometimes if you've got young kids, they get you out of bed in the morning very early. Family is something that we can be really passionate about. Um, but what gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, I remember for me, it used to be early surfs. I'd get up early and I would, I would jump out of bed, crack a dawn and be surfing. I'd love to hear it. Put it in the live chat. What you're passionate about? What gives you joy? What nourishes your soul? Maybe it's coffee. I think for me, as I've got older, what gets me out of bed in the morning is, is coffee and maybe several coffees or exercise. I love a prayer walk, actually. That's good for me. Or maybe for you, it is like a bacon and egg roll like Nick was talking about. And, and how cool that this week that we can bless people in our community with free bacon and egg rolls as a celebration of Father's Day. What gets you out of bed of a morning? Let me just check the live chat. Fishing. Pete Maroos is fishing. Um, I think that is right for you, Pete. That's, and yeah, early, he's early kids. Steph, that gets you up early. It does. Um, I'd love to see in the live chat what gets you out of bed. What are you hunger for? What, you, what brings deep satisfaction for you? I want to explore that a bit today because I think we land in a passage where it touches on that scenario. Um, many of you have probably heard of a, a slogan. In fact, it's a book. It's actually a, a great leadership principle that says it starts with why. Has anyone heard of that before? It starts with why. Um, Simon Sinek wrote a book about it. I haven't read that book, but I've heard him speak about it. Um, and it can be a really good principle. Um, but in one way, um, Adriana, my dog and my cat, that's cool. I know that's about you. You are passionate about your pets. It does get you out of bed in the morning. That's cool. Um, it starts with why is an interesting leadership principle. And there's a lot in that. But I want to I wanna even challenge that concept um, because as much as I think that's very helpful, I, I would actually question if it is the starting point. Um, if I was to phrase where I think it starts with, I don't think it starts with why. I think it goes deeper. It actually starts with who. And that's a very different foundation. It's a very different starting point when it starts with who. What do I mean by that? It actually changes your why when you understand the who. Like, who are you living for? Like, that's a big question. 
And when we eyeball that and understand that, well, what's at the base of that? And when we as followers of Jesus understand the who, that Jesus is who He says He is. And then from that point, we understand who we are in Jesus, that we are who He says we are. That changes our why. When I eyeball that, that changes why I get out of bed of a morning. When I really think about that, when I'm really intentional. So I would want to declare today that it starts with who and the why comes out of the who. I still think that's a great thing to explore, starts with why, but it is deeper. When we understand that the who is Jesus and that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, He is the name above every name. And in this story, we find ourselves in John 4, which Lisa shared with us last week, this story of the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus declares that He is the Messiah. He actually declares that with this woman in this conversation. When we understand who we are, when we understand who Jesus is, and we can answer that question that He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and we understand who we are, it changes everything. It really does. And if we can engage Him and the who at the core of who we are, at the centre of who we are, in our soul, we would find that there's a deep hunger there that actually is fulfilled by Jesus and by living in Him and for Him. I love this in 1 Peter when it says this. It says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. It's talking about you. You are royal priests. See, it talks about the who, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You see, there's an identity piece in every one of us that starts with the who, because it's who we are. So it goes on, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work. That's you. That's me. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something from rejected to accepted. I love that message paraphrase. Starts with who? And I want us to eyeball that this morning or today, whenever you're watching this, that when we can align our life with Jesus and understand who He is, that He is God and He came in human form, fully God, fully man, to give His life for you, to make a way to the Father, an invitation for you and I to be in His family. When we start with that who, it changes everything. And then when we understand who we are in Him, that we are We are priests. He sees us as priests. He sees you as a priest. It's incredible. It changes everything. Last week, Lisa did speak about the Samaritan woman in John 4. And can I encourage you that today, right now, wherever you are, that you grab a device, you grab an old school Bible, whatever you can, and just open it to John 4. Because I want to speak out of John 4 um, and... There's a context there in, the, in where this message lands today that's in the whole of the chapter. We're not going to go through the whole of the chapter, but if you're in John 4, you'll see it. Here's the context of today's 
message wrapped up in John 4. So Jesus was on a long journey with his disciples. Um, that They were tired from a long journey. So Jesus kind of hangs and, and sits at this well. It was Jacob's well, a water well. Um, and the disciples go off to buy some food. Interesting how the disciples are always after food. They, they would have loved a bacon and egg roll, I reckon. They're always after food. But Jesus is sitting at the well and he has an interaction with this Samaritan woman who came to get some water for her neighbours, for her friends. Um, and meanwhile, the disciples are buying food and Jesus interacts with this woman. He actually tells her about her life and she's blown away that he knew everything. There was zero judgment or condemnation. He just knew her. Um, he spoke about living water that you won't have to thirst again if you engage with living water. He spoke about worshipping in spirit and truth, and he declared that he was the Messiah. What an amazing interaction. Could you imagine that? Go back and check out Lisa's message from last week. You'll get, a, you'll get a perspective of what it was like for her to meet Jesus. But she had a personal revelation that Jesus was who he says he was, that he was the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. Man, she had a personal revelation of that. So... She was blown away so much, she leaves a jar of water there, the whole reason why she came to the well, and goes back to her village and tells her friends and her neighbours about Jesus. And then they come to meet Jesus for himself, and many believe. That's the context of the story. Now, why would I even want to bring that context? Because it's interesting, today's passage actually sits at the middle of that story. There's like almost, it would appear to be a pause in the story. And that's where today's message comes from. It's a pause in the story. Jesus doesn't consider it a pause. He actually uses it as an opportunity to teach his disciples a lesson that was life changing. And a lesson that I hope actually sticks with us today. And it's in this gap in the story where Jesus is at the well the Samaritan woman's gone back to tell her friends and it's before her friends come back. The disciples come back with Jesus. They've obviously bought food. Um, and Jesus takes this opportunity to speak. So with John 4, starting from verse 27, if you've got that with me. Um, while you're looking that up, did I see that Glenn... Loves his rabbits and his cats. That's hilarious. I know, I know you do like that, Glenn. So John 4, 27. Just then his disciples come back. I'll put that up on the screen for you. Sorry about that. Just then his disciples come back. And they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. Can you picture this? They're going to buy some food. And then they come back and they find Jesus hanging out with a Samaritan woman who, in, in, in their cultural ways, Jesus should never be talking to someone like that at this well. Anyway, they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left the water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? Again, they're thinking food, the disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. 
You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and their fruit than the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. So this happens at this time between when the Samaritan woman leaves to tell her friends and when they come back. And then Jesus talks about these two things that I want to explore today, that I think if we can capture these things, it will change the way that we live. And the two things I want to bring out of this passage today is nourishment and harvest. Nourishment and harvest. Because Jesus talks about a nourishment in this way, he says to his disciples, they're thinking food. Man, how many times in the story of the disciples are they thinking food? They're always out buying food. And Jesus says to them, I, I have food that you know nothing about. I have a kind of nourishment deep in my soul that you guys have yet to have a revelation about. And then he tells them what it is, that his nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. That's the nourishment of Jesus. And here is Jesus, fully God, yet a human expression, fully man, with all the stuff that comes with being human, as well as hunger, as well as thirst. Now, just so we're clear, Jesus was at the wheel to get a drink. He was thirsty. Yet at the same time, he's talking about a living water that if you engage with that, you'll never be thirsty. See, there's a deeper thing going on here. And Jesus speaks from a spiritual context, from a spiritual perspective. You know, Jesus would say, you have a, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. My nourishment comes from finishing the work God gave me to do. And you project the story forward. And if you, if you know this by reading God's word, you will know when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's there and he's actually finishing his work. His last physical words are, it is finished before he died. He said more words later after he resurrected, but he was passionate. He lived to know what his father's work was and to finish it. It is finished. There was deep nourishment. See, there's a, there's a way we can view life. We can view life completely in the physical or have a spiritual perspective. And Jesus confronts this often in his ministry with people. See, we can think physical or spiritual. The disciples are thinking food, 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 and Jesus is going, I have a food you know nothing about because there's a spiritual nourishment that actually is deep in nourishment. Quite often, it was either the disciples or people around Jesus that would think the physical, and he would always bring a spiritual parallel. Things like water. I'm thirsty and Jesus is going, you know what? You engage with me, you'll have living water. You'll never get thirsty again. And food, like we've just said, I have food you know nothing about. There's deep nourishment, nourishment in my soul. Have you, ever, have you ever been so passionate about something that you've forgotten to eat? That's a Jesus thing. That's, that's a thing. Jesus lived like that. He he had passion for his father's work. He was so passionate about it that eating was secondary. 
men in our culture. It's the other way around, I think. So Jesus talks about this, this spiritual perspective of food. Jesus talks also about a spiritual perspective on birth. You know that interaction with Nicodemus and he goes, you must be born again. It's a spiritual thing. Or what about even in this story with this lady? He talks about worship. And there was this almost, well, where, where do we go to worship? This temple or this mountain? And Jesus is going, it doesn't matter where you go. You can worship me anywhere. I tell you what, there's a message in that for us now in this lockdown space. Like we don't need to be in a gathering to worship. It's great to do that and we will do that. You can worship Jesus anywhere, anywhere, right now, anywhere in your day, because we worship in the spirit and truth. See, there's this perspective of spiritual and physical. Man, because of our way, we get caught up in the physical all the time. Jesus wants to lift our eyes to see the spiritual, to actually not neglect the physical, but to see the spiritual at the same time. I love this passage in Colossians. We've used it recently, but I love it. In the message it says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorb the things right in front of you, the physical things. Look up. And be alert to what God is doing around Christ, the spiritual things. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. My hope today is that you and I can have a perspective shift and we see things in your world, in your days, in your neighbourhoods, in your communities from Jesus' perspective, from a spiritual perspective. We'll see the physical. We see that's what we start with. But to lift our eyes and go, man, that's where the action is. When we see the spiritual perspective, the living water, the bread, the bread of life, the deep nourishment in our souls, the harvest field, when we see things from a spiritual perspective, it will change. Jesus was deeply passionate about his father, the who, and what his father had asked him to do. You know, in this story in John 4, Jesus' perspective was different to his disciples. His disciples saw that they were hungry, we've got to get some food. They saw a woman who who come to get a drink and actually go, man, what's Jesus talking with her for? What's going on there? That should not be going on. They, they saw things from a physical perspective, a surface perspective. What did Jesus see? He saw there was opportunity to lift people's eyes and he saw a woman who was created in the image of God who needed a revelation of Jesus. That's what he saw. He saw that there was a harvest that was ripe and he wanted to show his disciples, almost give them an object lesson. He's taught them, and then in a moment you'll see, actually, this is what I'm talking about. You will see it with your own eyes right here, right now, that the harvest is ripe, and you'll see that happen. I want to ask you a question. What do you see when you see people? Because how Jesus saw this Samaritan woman and how the disciples saw her were completely different. How do you see people? Do you just see the physical or do you see the spiritual? Do you lift your eyes? Do you look up and go, man, that's where the action is. This person is a, is a person created in the image of God. They're loved by God. They actually belong in the family of God. They just don't know it yet. And maybe I will have an opportunity 
to let them know of that truth and trust that the Holy Spirit will bring a revelation that Jesus is who he says he is and he's done what he said he's done. You know, when we can get in touch with the who, that it is about Jesus and who we are in Jesus, it engages our soul in a way where there's deep nourishment and we will see the world differently. That's my hope. And it's not from a point of there's an obligation to be engaged in what God wants us to do or a pressure. It's actually from a standpoint of deep nourishment in our soul. That that's the who and that's the why we would engage in the mission of Jesus. Um, and we live from that foundation. It's adventurous. It's passionate. And we could have that same testimony that Jesus has where we can actually say, man, I, I have a food, I have a nourishment that you don't know anything about. And I'm going to live from that point of deep satisfaction. So here's this nourishment and harvest almost object lesson and opportunity to connect with his disciples about. The Samaritan woman comes back and she brings her friends. She brings her neighbours from her village. And the disciples witness this truth that Jesus is talking about, that there is a harvest and the harvest is ripe. So not only does Jesus talk to them about a deep nourishment in their soul and it's an understanding that we engage with our Father's business, in the world and finish the work he's asked us to do. Now that can look different for all of us, but it is around the, the work of harvest. There's different expressions, different gifts, different ways we can serve, but it is about harvest. Because Jesus says, man, the harvest is ripe. If we look around, lift our eyes, the harvest is ripe. So Jesus wants to bring this, this almost lesson around nourishment and a lesson around harvest. And here's some things we can pull out about harvest. Jesus says there's time between planting and harvest. That there is this time between when seeds are sown and someone will have a revelation that Jesus loves them and that they will believe in him and enter eternal life. You know, sometimes I think we can think that that we can share Jesus and there's an expectation that someone should be converted right there and then. There's always a delay. There's always, there's always time between a seed sown and a harvest. Now, this is the deal. There's probably seed sown all over the place for many times, so the harvest is ripe right now. But I love this concept even in 1 Corinthians where Paul's going, you know, like, who's Apollos, who's Paul? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seeds in your heart. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. So there is this understanding that it takes time for people to, for sometimes to get a revelation about Jesus. That's okay. God's not in a hurry. He just wants truth spoken, seeds sown, people like you and me to be engaged in his work so that happens and then there will be revelations of Jesus. Jesus also mentions that the harvest is ripe. Like he mentions that right there and then with his disciples going, you know what, there's people right now who are ripe. Seeds have been sown. That actually time has been in play, which I think is a missing ingredient in growth we talk about all the time. Time's happened. People are ready. And you know what, he's going to actually show them. 
I like this in Matthew 9. Jesus speaks about this principle as well. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, saw things from a spiritual perspective. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great. But the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. I think we can actually engage with the truth right now that the harvest is ripe. I absolutely believe that more now than ever. There's more people asking questions about life now than probably I've seen in my lifetime. I don't know how you feel about that. You might say the same thing. Big questions about life. Many people in Australia, many people in your community, plenty of people in your family have had seed sown about Jesus, about the good news of Jesus in some way. If not, maybe today is one of the days that you're hearing about that. But the harvest is ripe. People are ready to have a revelation of Jesus, but it takes you and me to be people that understand that we're planted in the identity of Jesus. We know who we are in Him and we know that He's given us work to do and we choose to do it because the harvest is ripe. We choose to speak out and have a testimony about Jesus because we've got this deep nourishment in our soul from completing the work He's asked us to do. The other thing Jesus says about harvest is that, let's be really clear, the harvest is people are brought to eternal life. We see that in the passage, word for word. That's the harvest. Now, in our Christian context, we can talk about lots of things about fruit of a Christian life and lots of things that we could say are really good things that happen out of being a follower of Jesus. And that's true. And that's right. But if we're not careful, our Christian community can be like just like a massive wheel spin or donut in a car where there's lots of action, there's lots of noise, there's lots of movement, but we're going nowhere. Because the fruit is, the harvest is, people are brought to eternal life. That's the outcome. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. That's still his mission in his world. And so therefore he's engaged us in that mission. That's why he came. That was his work, and now he's passed it on to you and me to be active in that mission in that world. See, when we understand the who, that Jesus is God, that he gave his life, he made a way to the Father, and it's an invitation for anyone to step in. And then we understand our who, that we are ministers of reconciliation. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are a royal priesthood. We are his witnesses. And there's so many different definitions that describe who we are in Jesus. Praise God. And then we understand that the harvest is ripe. And we know that from stepping into that, from that foundation, there's a deep nourishment in our soul It's a beautiful way to live. Jesus also says about the harvest, he says, you can harvest where you didn't plant. Jesus wanted to show his disciples that. In this story, they hadn't done any work in that village, I don't think, where the Samaritan woman lived. Maybe he did, but I think he was showing his disciples this lesson. They probably hadn't been working there, yet here they're going to see a whole bunch of people come back to this well and they would see 
belief happen. They would see a revelation in people that they would believe in Jesus and step into his family, step into eternal life and go, man, we didn't do any work there. We were just part of the harvest. That's an opportunity you and I have right now. For generations, there's been seeds sown. I love those stories of a, bra- a praying grandmother or, you know the stories, or just people hearing or being in Christian families or, or going into a faith space in some way. There's so many seeds sown in people more than we would ever know. You know, when I'm meeting with people in mentoring scenarios, and I've mentored lots of people that don't have a faith at the starting point, yet everybody has a faith story or lots of people. Now, I think we're, getting, we're moving on that scale in Australia, and there's some people that don't have a faith story yet. But that's why you and I active in his mission in his world from understanding who Jesus is and who we are because we will see a harvest where we didn't plant. I believe that in this this next season that we're moving into as the church um, worldwide is that in the local communities and local expressions and gatherings of the church, I believe we will see a harvest in places that we didn't plant. But it doesn't matter who sows the seed, it's actually joy for everyone. It's our role, I believe, to harvest where we didn't plant if we can just get proximate with people, just get alongside people, especially in our close neighbourhoods, and we find common ground and we're ready to give an answer for the faith that we have, we will see a harvest of people entering eternal life. And there's joy. In this passage it says, Great joy is for the planter and the harvester alike. There's no competition. Doesn't matter who plants the seeds. Doesn't matter who sees the harvest. There's a joy at the centre of that that's linked to the nourishment in our souls. I love it in Luke 15, just this principle where it says, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There is a deep joy that matches that deep nourishment with God when we engage in the mission that God has for us and we finish the work he's given us to do when we see the harvest. I don't know if you've experienced that. There probably isn't a greater joy when you can personally witness either one-on-one or together as a community of people When you see people have a revelation of Jesus and step into the family of God, there's a joy there that's so deep that for me it's like, man, that's why I get out of bed of a morning. When I am conscious of that and lift my eyes to that and go deep in understanding who I am in Jesus, there's no greater joy. And I just want Jesus to keep reminding me over and over again to lift my eyes, to see that, to live from that standpoint, because that's what I think he's asking us to do. So we have an opportunity right now. In this season of history, in this moment, in these days, even today, we have an opportunity every day. I totally believe God purposes every day. The whole reason this day exists is because God has a purpose in it. And this passage, in my opinion, engages the very purpose of why this day exists. That we have an opportunity personally to engage with Jesus and understand who he is, who we are, and actually say yes to his mission in his world and understand that there's deep nourishment and deep satisfaction that comes from that. 
that that's a way to live, that nothing else in the physical in this world can engage us that deeply. That's as deep as it goes. And we can keep going deeper in that for the rest of our lives. Is deep nourishment. So can I encourage you in your fellowship, as you choose to follow Jesus, and maybe today might be a first day choice, welcome to the family of God if that is the case. But we can engage deeply in our fellowship with Jesus in that deep, passionate place to go, that's why I get out of bed every morning. That's why I choose to live. Because I want to live from that deep place. And I want to go and be present in his world and participate in the mission that Jesus has for me. Because I believe we have an opportunity to do that every day. And we have an opportunity to go and be the church. And to actually live out of our homes, out of our houses, in our streets, in our neighbourhoods, particularly as the church. And to love people and have a testimony of Jesus and to sow seeds of the good news. But we do that just by getting proximate with people and finding common ground as we go. And actually being ready to share about your faith when people ask with gentleness and respect. But in that knowing that we're sowing seeds. And at that moment, it may be a harvest time for somebody because the harvest is ripe. I believe the harvest is ripe in our community in your neighbourhood, maybe even in your home. I believe as we rebuild in this season, we have an opportunity to continue in the direction we're going and to be super intentional in the way that we live for Jesus. And you've heard us talk about it. It's follow, gather, go. And in our fellowship, we engage deeply in that deep place of nourishment with God and go, man, I have food. That some people know nothing about. And I'm going to be active in the work God's given me. And as we do that, we gather together for encouragement and to be equipped for that. And we go and we live out in our neighbourhoods, in our communities, just authentically. But I believe we have opportunity to do that very strategically at this point. You've heard us talk about the significance of what happens in our homes. And when I say that, it is, it is in your families. It is in your extended families. It is in your street. It's in your neighbourhood. It's the way we can be hospitable with people. But as we do that with greater intentionality, my hope is that we do see a harvest. We witness it. People have been sowing seeds for years, for generations. And in, our hope is, if we imagine if we can bring that kind of faith at present, that kind of expectancy to our way that we live, to go, the harvest is ripe. And as we go, we see things, not, not food and water and physical things and things that give us pleasure and things that we can chase after and this bunch of that stuff, that's all okay. But if that's the sum of our life and we don't lift our eyes to the spiritual and understand that there's living water, there's the bread of life, I can worship Jesus anywhere, that the harvest is ripe, that we can see people from a spiritual point of view, not a physical point of view. And we see every person as a love child of God and they're lost. They've lost their way somehow. And it's a shame. It's deeply saddening. But we see people for who they are. And we just love people and sow seeds of the gospel and our story of Jesus with the hope and the expectancy that the harvest is ripe. And that we will see people step into the family of God. I don't know what that's doing for you right now. But my hope is, 
as a group of people that call Coast Community home, that we can take our responsibility together and deeply engage with Jesus and allow Him to lift our eyes and to see things from a spiritual perspective. And we see people and we see the harvest is ripe and we say a fresh yes every day to go, here I am, I choose to follow you, Jesus. I want to actually finish the work you've given me to do. Help me to understand that. Help me to bring a testimony of you. Help me to sow seeds with the faith that we will see a harvest, knowing that the harvest is people coming to eternal life. That's my hope. That's my prayer. What a joy that we can do it together and celebrate it together because there's deep joy even when one person believes. But my hope is that we will see many, that we will see many because the harvest is ripe. But it will take you and I encouraging each other as we gather and going deep as we follow so that we can engage in that foundation with Jesus from a deep point of nourishment in our soul. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, God, that that you are at the centre of it all. That Jesus, you are God. You have made a way to your Father. You sent your Spirit. You placed deeply within us. So therefore, there is a depth to every person that believes in you, Jesus. God, we want to say yes to that. And I pray that you would engage us in that point. That we would start with who? And the who is you, Jesus. We would start with who? Understanding who we are in you, Jesus. And I pray from that point you'd build our why. Why we get out of bed. Why we say yes to engage in your mission in your world. God, I pray that you'd be our strength. I pray that you'd be our inspiration and our encouragement. And I pray, God, that by your Spirit, as we go, as we follow you and as we go, I pray that you would lift our eyes. You'd help us to see people from your perspective. You'd help us to see the harvest and see that it's ripe. And Lord, I pray that you would give us everything we need to be able to get alongside people, especially the ones we live with mostly in our homes, in our streets, in our neighbourhoods. Help us, God, just to share you authentically, to share our story, especially when people ask. And I pray, God, that we'd see seeds sown. And I pray, God, that we'd see people come into your family and experience internal life starting from now. Lord, I pray you'd receive all the glory for that. I pray there'd be deep joy in that for all of us. And Lord, I pray, God, that as your church, your whole church, that you would empower us by your spirit to be your church. Lord, help us to take your mission and to grab it and be adventurous and be active and participate that in your world with the hope and the faith and the expectancy that we will see a harvest of people coming to eternal life for your glory. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.